At the end of the day, we're a data company and we're a research company. And then we expose that to software. What's really hard to replicate is 20 years of history and academically validated, you know, validated research. That's really, really hard to replicate in the fintech space. Part of the acquisition of Plan Plus Global, they did some things uh, on the advanced financial planning side that uh, was going to take us a bit to get there. So it helped us accelerate that. And how do we start to take it out of what were those, those legacy products and make, again, make it available into all of our enterprise software solutions. That was Jeff Schwantz, Global Head of Advisor Client Experience at Morningstar, talking about the reasons why they made the recent acquisition of Advisor Logic and Plan Plus Global. I spoke with Jeff about Morningstar's shiny new risk ecosystem and how it will deliver an improved client experience around individual risk and portfolio risk, how the acquired companies will fit into their ecosystem, their product roadmap to expand the footprint in the financial planning space, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Come on in, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 110 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, the founder and CEO of Ezra Group Consulting. Over the past 16 years, we've worked with hundreds of fintech vendors and enterprise wealth management firms to guide them towards making better business and technology decisions. If you are the CEO, CTO, COO, or any fintech executive with a software product that you're selling to RIAs, broker-dealers, asset managers, or other firms, run, don't walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com and click the button to schedule a discovery session. Our wealth tech research team can deliver a wide range of market insights for you, including competitive analysis, addressable and obtainable market estimates, sales targeting and insights on buying decisions, and more. Every vendor needs this data to be successful, especially when entering new markets, and you can get on the right track by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. Okay, that's the end of the self-promotional segment of the program. The Wealth Tech Today podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices in technology for wealth management, asset management, and related areas. This episode is part of our September focus on client experience. We're talking to influential industry leaders who can provide technology solutions that help advisors build stronger relationships, improve outcomes, and enrich their clients' lives. A couple of housekeeping tasks before I forget. Quick shout out to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. You can check them out at investinothers.org. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. Now let's get this episode started. And I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode is Jeff Schwantz, General Manager and Global Head of Advisor Client Experience at Morningstar. Jeff, hey, welcome. Hey, Greg. Uh, great to be here. Love that we get to talk about client experience today. So happy. This is our client experience month at the Wealth Tech Today podcast. And who better to have on than the head of global uh, client experience than you? Uh, so everyone, of course, knows Morningstar. We don't need to introduce Morningstar to the audience, especially to this audience. But we're talking about on this episode, the Risk Ecosystem, which is a new product uh, offering from Morningstar. So can you give us a 30-second overview of the risk ecosystem? Sure. Uh, Morningstar has been investing, continuing to invest in our financial planning capabilities over the last several years. 
the launch of the Morningstar Risk Ecosystem was just uh, the next evolution of that, which really brings together several things today that we think there's an opportunity to improve on the marketplace and ultimately to help investors um, better understand the impacts of risk and help them achieve their financial goals. So at a high level, uh, Craig, it really brings together uh, understanding an individual's risk tolerance uh, in a way that we think is uh, unique and very Morningstar and uh, bringing that element into it. Um, it's also looking at portfolio risk. So this is what Morningstar has been doing for years and years and years. Uh, and then it's also, it's really marrying those two together but the other opportunity of what we're also, as we build on the risk ecosystem, it's also bringing in an individual's uh, non-financial preferences. So think about, you know, in the vein of client experience, think about what everybody's looking for, impact investing, ESG investing. That's another really important element of the overall risk ecosystem that, um, that, that will be the next element that comes in, uh, in the overall risk ecosystem. So when you look at our methodology, it's risk tolerance, of the individual, think about that as their risk IQ. Uh, the next is their portfolio. What are the risks in their portfolio? And then understanding the, the fit or misfit between uh, the client, the individual, and their portfolio. And then last, they'll be layering in the elements of their non-financial uh, preferences. So think about their impact investing ESG. So those are really the elements of the risk ecosystem. Excellent. So I, I never heard, let me take them one at a time. I'll work backwards, non-financial preferences. So in the old days, we used to call those restrictions or customizations where the client right. doesn't want to invest in tobacco stocks. They don't want to invest in military equipment or, or energy stocks, right? So now it's called ESG. Is, is that the only area when we call them non-financial? They are kind of financial because they're you're talking about investments they don't want to make or is there something beyond that when you, when you, call, when you call them non-financial preferences? Yeah, the way that we thought, uh, the way that we talk about them, Greg, is um, it's understanding those things that really are important to them that are more um, that they're probably more related to uh, you know their 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 social preferences or things that are really important to them, and um, so everything else in the risk ecosystem, it's it's uh, understanding risk and reward and takeoff, but there's other things that investors in the world of hyper personalization. When you talk about client experience today, that everybody's really interested in just saying, hey, you know what? There's things that I want to do differently and better. I want to invest differently. I want to, uh, I want to take these types of actions because I want to leave a better life or I want to leave a better a world than than what what I may be operating in today. It's that kind of perspective that we're looking to gather um, a better sense of today. And you're right, it's always been around you know exclusions of tobacco or sin stocks or gaming. Um, so it's that, but it's also more on the positive side of like, I'd really like to uh, invest in companies that are doing better. So sustainable energy as an example, um, reducing carbon footprint. So it's not necessarily just the exclusion, but it's also on the positive side of like, hey, I want to invest in things that are going to make a difference. So it's understanding those preferences that they have, as opposed to the, the exclusion side of like, I want to do more of this and really calling that out. So around you know, the, the client experience. It's really understanding that personalization that we know is so important to make so many investors and growing by the day. So I definitely want to get more in depth into the client experience aspect of this, but I want to backtrack. You mentioned that when you, when you, talk, when you started out your 30 second overview, you said Morningstar is continuing to invest in our financial planning capabilities. 
So if you can you give us a quick like glimpse into the overview of the strategy of financial planning at Morningstar and how does this risk ecosystem fit into your overall financial planning capabilities? Sure. Um, both organically um, in our own development, what we've do, been doing around financial planning is really, um, our goal is to, uh, how do we help investors have better financial outcomes? So we know financial planning and understanding and illustrating the decision trade-offs that are, that are made within financial planning is hugely important to help people understand, prioritize, understand goals. Um, so we've been investing in our own capabilities, building out our own financial planning capabilities um, over the last several years. Uh, so inorganically, we've also made several acquisitions uh, globally over the last couple of years. So we, we acquired Advisor Logic uh, in Australia a couple of years ago. We acquired Plan Plus Global in April of last year. And with the Plan Plus Global, not only did we, did we acquire financial planning capabilities, advanced financial planning capabilities, but it's also came in in was uh, risk. And um, that's the piece of the risk ecosystem. So how do they all interplay? Well, if you look at a financial plan, um, typically there's a couple of decisions to make. So number one, we all know the impacts of goals. Um, if you've been in the financial planning space, like many of our listeners have, so we can always uh, choose to defer our goal, therefore work longer, we can contribute more to it. I can reduce um, my spending, therefore I can invest uh, more into in my goals. Um, there's a series of triggers but the one that's most often understood, and it's the one that is least accessible for most people, Craig, is understanding risk. Well, should I be taking more risk um, to achieve my goals, or how does risk actually impact my goals? So you think about the first couple, they're pretty simple for all of us to go, yeah, I understand. I can work longer. I can save more. I can spend less. Those things. But when it comes to risk, well, how much risk should I actually be taking within um, to achieve my goals? And am, am I really, do I really understand the risks I need to take? And do I understand the risks that I'm comfortable with? And when we look at and why this has become such a, uh, an interesting inflection point, we believe is because A, is more and more organizations go towards financial planning, uh, understanding these things in a better way, making them more accessible, making them understood by the end investor uh, is going to naturally drive the risk question um, because that's the one that's least accessible for most people. So to the extent that we can shine a light on understanding and having people truly understand the risk that they're comfortable with, that's your risk tolerance, um, that's the really first big step. And what's been really interesting in the risk space is that um, as an industry, we could do a better job on this because historically we've asked clients to take a risk tolerance questionnaire and we call it a risk tolerance questionnaire, but really what most organizations have done is they've conflated a couple of topics. They've conflated time horizon. They've looked at, you know, the, I'll ask you a series of questions of how would you react if this were to occur? But what that's not getting at, Craig, is the actual risk tolerance of an individual. And this was part of our acquisition of the Plan Plus Global, specifically Finometrica. That was so intriguing for us because they had, a, they had 20 years worth of data that had been academically validated and asking a series of questions um, that's, again, very accessible for the end individual to understand their risk tolerance. And having that validated by you know, nearly 2 million respondents uh, over 20 years gave us great confidence that we're asking better questions to really understand the behavior and tolerance of individuals that we don't think the industry has done a great job of historically. Because again, topics were often conflated. 
So that's where we saw the really big opportunity to bring together the behavioral side of what's really going on with individuals and starting to marry that together with what's going on on the portfolio side, different than what we've seen historically done in the space. And we thought, again, to do a bit, uh, our, our ability to do a better job in, in doing that. I think what a lot of people don't realize is what a large, that Morningstar, everyone thinks Morningstar uh, data, Morningstar portfolio analytics, um, you know, but really you have a huge footprint in software in our space between Morningstar Office, uh, Morningstar Direct, uh, Advisor Workstation, and now the risk ecosystem and your other acquisitions. So how, how will the advisor at client experience, which is your area of expertise, how will that change yep. With this new technology and this new ecosystem, and how will it be different than how advisors are working today? Yeah, so what we are going to do is um, the Morningstar ecosystem is uh, already been integrated into uh, advisor workstations. So just in North America, we serve uh, we have the pleasure of serving over one hundred eighty five thousand members of that community today. So member subscribers. Um, so it's already within uh, that that experience. We are in the process of integrating it into all of those other uh, flagship uh, uh, solutions as well. So uh, Morningstar Office, uh, Morningstar Direct. But here's the other important part of it too, Craig, is we are also bringing it to um, how we serve consumers directly today. So we have over two and a half million people uh, that come in today into Morningstar.com. Um, and that are using, they're doing their own research. Some of those are also become uh, members of our, uh, our premium community. So it's, it's uh, we provide tool sets to those individuals that they want to you know, um, do some planning or financial uh, managed portfolios on their own or in conjunction with an advisor that they actually may work with. So we are taking the Morningstar Risk Ecosystem at the end of the day and putting it into every one of our flagship products that serve advisors, you know, professionals, institutions, and ultimately, ultimately to the end consumer as well. Because um, when you look at the trends that are going on around the client experience, we look to the healthcare space, we look to other industries and looking at what individuals are looking to do. Um, and they want to, what they want to do is they want to educate themselves first. They want to be able to really understand it. So that's where we've got the inflection point of how do we serve this to the end, uh, the end investors and the communities that we serve there. But then how do we enable that really that collaboration that's happening between the investor community and the advisor community in a more seamless way that, again, is another opportunity that we see to be able to lean into and help advisors better serve their investors. And you've got a more informed investor being able to, to understand the things and the questions that they should be asking as well. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Invest in Others recognizes individuals and advisory firms that are making a difference by donating their time and money to causes that matter to them. By sharing their stories and awarding funding to organizations they care about, invest in others, raises awareness, encourages others to get involved, channels additional resources to those in need, and demonstrates the generosity of the financial advice industry. I've been involved with Invest in Others for a number of years, and we just did our judging. Uh, I've been uh, fortunate to be asked to be a judge for some of their um, uh, award, awards. And the one we just did was volunteer of the year. So we reviewed 10 different uh, advisors and their charities and what they gave to their charities, the work they've done over many years, some more than a decade of work with their charities to try to come down to which one was the volunteer of the year. And the volunteer of the year, their charity will receive 
$50,000. The second and third place runners up get $20,000. And I believe the next three uh, get $2,500. So a lot of uh, these charities are getting some money. You know, the number one gets 50,000. Really hard to pick. There's a lot of great charities out there. I would encourage you to go to investinothers.org. Uh, read about what they're doing, their good work, meet their board of directors, look at their grants for good, and make a donation. Your, hopefully your, your company will, will match it. That means you can do double the good for a lot of great charities. Uh, the Invest in Others Foundation. How did you guys make the build versus buy decision to acquire Plan Plus Global Infinimetrica? Obviously, you've got a very strong bench of software development, uh, building out your own, your own systems, and you started building out Goldbridge your own financial planning tool. What was that impetus to, to make the, you know, pull the trigger on that rather than building it yourself? Sure. You know, what's kind of fun in the FinTech space, Craig, is um, we can all build really amazing tools right now. But think about at the end of the day, you know, Morningstar, we're a data company and we're a research company. Um, and then we expose that to software. And what's really hard to replicate, Craig, is 20 years of history and academically validated, you know, validated research, um, that's really, really hard to replicate in the fintech space. And part of the acquisition of Plan Plus Global, they did some things uh, on the advanced financial planning side that uh, was gonna take us a bit to get there. Um, so it helped us accelerate that. And how do we start to take it out of what were those, those legacy products and make, again, make it available into all of our enterprise software solutions. But what's really interesting about the acquisition, uh, th that acquisition was the acquisition of the IP and the 20 years of academic, uh, academically validated research of understanding the risk IQ of individuals. And that's the part that's really hard to replicate for any fintech. Any fintech starts today, they create a new UI. They don't have that history to be able to have that research validated through and through. And that's a part, that's a really meaningful part of, uh, of the acquisition. So it's not just the software, it's really the research and the history. Got it. So when you mentioned this before, risk IQ, can you explain how uh, individual risk tolerance is different from risk IQ or how risk IQ is better than the, the way firms are doing risk tolerance today? Sure. Um, so it, people understand, typically, um, if you understand a person's and individual's IQ over their life, their IQ really doesn't change meaningfully over a period of, you know, over their life. Um, it's, it's innate. Um, it's a psychometric trait that you have. It's something that is in each individual being. And your tolerance for risk is similar. And this is really important. So if risk tolerance, Craig, is done well, um, it is going to measure, and it should not, it should measure that person's, their, their psychological trait um, their tradedness of their appetite for risk, and that does not change over their life. And, and some of the things that we see today, they don't, it doesn't have that consistency to be able to understand and measure. And um, quite frankly, if your risk tolerance, some of the questions that we ask uh, advisors and enterprises is if your risk tolerance is actually changing, if markets get a bit choppy, you're probably not actually measuring risk, risk tolerance because your risk tolerance, again, it's a trait of yourself. It's not going to change regardless of the activity, you know, of that. And that is a, that's a, that's a part of the education that we're trying to do to help people understand it. So, you know, your tradedness, your IQ does not change over a lifetime. Um, how you may react to things, that's a different measure. So we're just trying to get people back to basics, Craig, of like, what is risk tolerance? 
and how does it change or not change over an individual's life? And let's start there. I would think a lot of things change over people's lives and how they react or interact with the markets or any part of their lives, especially finances as they get older. You know, when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you may be very different how you interact with finance and interact with the market than when you're 40, 50, 60. Correct. But, but that's the point is it, it's your tolerance for risk as a human does not change over your lifetime. But what happens is market events, things like your risk composure, well, that's actually something else. So that's where, again, as an industry, we have conflated topics, unfortunately, um, that we're, we're bringing these things together and the actual measure of risk tolerance, if done correctly, and if measured correctly, that tolerance does not change over a person's lifestyle or, 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 or as market events change in, in that. And that's what we're trying to make sure that uh, individuals, advisors, clients really understand is that if done correctly, that doesn't change. Everything else and how we, we may shift around composure, um, their risk capacity to be able to take on additional risk or reduce risk to achieve their goals. But the core of that risk tolerance if done correctly does not change over a person's life. And, and that's where we see it, again, a, a, a significant opportunity in the market to help better serve investors. Having advisors understand that nature, being able to explain that to the end consumer and then how do we start to parlay that into how does it impact their financial goals? And then you can link into gold bridge. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. It's linking it to uh, gold bridge or any of our financial planning capabilities. Yeah. I remember when you first announced that I thought it was a really good idea considering you have a lot of the tools because that, that's going to be a big gap between your portfolio analytics software and, and data and Morningstar office, your implementation portfolio management tools. There was that, gap in between that Goldbridge seemed to fill and now the risk ecosystem even fills even further. Yep, exactly. It just fills it in. So you think about, it's all about planning to action to your point, Craig. It's, it's let's understand it. Let's understand the trade-offs. And then when, when we agree on here's the, the next best action to take, what do we do? So how do we put it into a portfolio? How do we then, you know, uh, uh, put that portfolio into action, fund it, be traded, everything else that, uh, that, that exists that we all know uh, takes place next. Your software is used by so many advisors. I think the numbers I saw where advisor workstation has something like 150,000 users. So how do you see the risk ecosystem? What would be a success in terms of adoption rate of your current user base? Yeah. Um, so in North America, so we've got actually north of 185,000 member subscribers today. Um, and I mean, I was shortchanging you with only 150,000. <laughs> no, just uh, wanted to make a point of clarification. We're a public company, so uh, we always want to make sure that the facts align to um, what we what we communicate. Uh, Jeff, I, uh, Jeff, I appreciate street. you being precise. So, uh, hey, it's important. And um, but the the what was interesting, Craig, is when we launched it within two weeks. We had uh, north of 32,000 member subscribers start to already engage, you know, with the Morningstar Risk Ecosystem and just the elements. Um, uh, one element of that was just the portfolio risk store, literally running it through and um, uh, understanding what are the what's the what's the risk score of the portfolios. When we were communicating with advisors in the very beginning, um, advisors were really excited to have effectively a Morningstar rating for their portfolio. They'll sit down with their clients and say, hey, you know, Craig, this is the portfolio I built for you. And um, uh, 
this is the Morningstar risk score that uh, that when we ran your portfolio that I built for you custom. Um, here's a here's a point of view. And advisors are really excited to be able to take, you know, what had always been the star rating or the analyst rating. And now they could have something that they built and they touched for their for their consumer. And they could put it in the context, again, of person, the personalization that they wanted to do to the end uh, household that they serve. Super excited about it. Um, I mean, ideally, we'd love to see, you know, and we would expect to uh, to reach almost all of that 185,000 member subscribers that we have today, um, you know, with uh, using the, the Morningstar Risk Ecosystem. So now we are uh, we are almost two months in and we are getting, you know, large adoption. But it's also what what where else can we bring it back to the um, we're, we're launching it. Um, we're bringing it to Australia. We're bringing it to India. Now that we've got uh, the fundamentals built and we've got the processes running, so it's not just relegated to North America, which is our largest footprint, but it's also bringing this and making it globally uh, as well. So um, high adoption expectations, Craig, is, uh, is, is the short answer. I can only imagine. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, 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 within two weeks, you get 32,000 advisors engaging with your product. That's that's a, the, the best kind of, you know, initial rollout you could possibly expect from, you know, any company would be glad to exchange that because the data you're getting from those initial users, I'm sure is really valuable and help shape the, the further direction of the product. No, exactly. And I think um, even some of our correspondents, we were starting to analyze um, what we were seeing in, uh, in the data. So, you know, portfolios, risk score, where are we seeing differences between um, genders. So those that, that uh, have associated with being female, we've always known to be, uh, the, the data suggested to be uh, more risk averse. Guess what? We saw exactly that. Um, we saw differences in uh, portfolios built for consumers here in the US versus Canada. We saw, um, we saw uh, our, can, our Canadian households be a bit more risk averse in the portfolios that were being created or managed by advisors in Canada as well. So, you know, we're only starting to see some of the really, really rich data coming out of that. Uh, we've got our, our data team, our behavioral science uh, team also starting to really analyze that. Now we're getting more and more data uh, running through the, uh, the application that we're starting to extract and look at those cohorts. So super interesting. Uh, what was, so were there any other differences besides uh, risk averse and non-risk averse that you saw in, in, in that data? Um, those are kind of some of the high levels. As you can imagine, we need to, you really need to drill down into that to understand, well, um, this is where the financial planning connection comes. So it's um, which of those portfolios are attached to which types of goals? Um, what are the time horizons of those goals? So on a blend, it's hard, but now that's really where we're focused on now is how do we start to uh, parse this information to see what is the time horizon of some of those goals where, where portfolios may actually be um, more conservative? Why? You know, naturally, we've got a shorter time horizon um, with which to achieve that goal. So we are, uh, so those are, that's kind of the layering that we're seeing. You know, we've got this layer of obfuscation right now that it's hard to, but now it's where, it's where we're drilling in. The layer of obfuscation. We want to get rid of that. Pull that layer off, Jeff. Absolutely. Jeff pull the layer off. Um, so we're running out of time. I want to make sure I get all the questions in. So with this new risk ecosystem, and we're, going to, we're seeing it rolling out, we're seeing advisors engaging with it, uh, we're, we're seeing it um, move through your ecosystem. How about on the in investor side? One thing, we do a lot of research at Ezra Group Research, uh, our research group, we do a lot of research talking to advisors. And one of the things we did a risk study a couple weeks ago, and one of the things we heard from advisors was, even when they do a risk tolerance with the client, they, the client forgets 
that they wanted, that they were risk averse. And then when they're behind the market a couple of years later, they're like, well, what are you doing? Like, well, you told me you're risk averse. Well, I wasn't, no, I didn't. You know, they argue like, so how, what, what kind of educational tools are you building to help clients really understand the decisions they're making when they say they're risk averse or they're picking a, a conservative portfolio, what that means in the future? No, absolutely. And that's why it was so important for me to mention what we're doing uh, direct to consumer and the two and a half million people today to come for, look for education from morningstar.com on, on all topics from portfolio. Risk is the next element. So um, we've been focusing a lot. Um, so we've got Dr. Sarah Newcomb. She's actually a member of the advisor client experience here uh, at Morningstar. And Sarah is well known for what she's been doing in the behavioral uh, science side um, for years here at Morningstar and how we help uh, work with advisors to put certain things into their practices. So what Sarah has been tasked with is how do we help um, not only lift, if you will, the, the understanding of risk with advisors, but how can we help create communications that advisors and we can use directly with the end consumers that lifts their understanding of that because of that exact thing, Craig, of, of uh, reactions that investors want to take. Well, if they understand back to the, their risk IQ, if they understand their risk IQ, how can we uh, help them avoid uh, making those behavioral changes that we always see occur when markets rise and when they fall? So, you know, we've got the education side going on with advisors, but it's also what we're doing directly to the end consumers, hopefully helping them lift their understanding of risk and how does it impact their goals and what we're doing. So really, it's, it's fueling both sides to be able to, again, make better investors and better informed investors and better consumers of really great advice that we know advisors provide. Jeff, you've said it all, and we are out of time. We're, we had to rush this one. I'm glad we squeezed it in, Jeff. Uh, so happy you could be here. How can people find out more about the risk ecosystem? Uh, go to Morningstar.com, or you can do a quick Google search. Just call it the Morningstar Risk Ecosystem. We've got a video directly on there that quickly illustrates it as well. So uh, the web is a wonderful way to... Uh, to, uh, to engage, but our teams are also available um, for, for advisors or consumers alike that are looking to get more information. Fantastic. Well. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this interview. Uh, how Morningstar's risk IQ differs from regular tolerance and risk assessments. How their acquisition of Plan Plus and Finimetrica were driven by their 20-year store of risk and planning data that Morningstar plans to use to improve their behavioral and risk assessment of clients. And three, that they're expanding their financial planning footprint and plan to integrate the risk ecosystem with their suite of advisor software tools. Looking forward to seeing how that turns out. And there you have it. If you listened all the way to here, you're a dedicated learner. And I predict that you'll go far in all of your life's endeavors. So you've got that going for you. In the meantime, click over to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of knowledge and industry goodness, and you'll be glad that you did. I'll talk to you all again next time.